Hello, friends. Welcome to the Doggy Discourse Podcast. My name is Mary Bell, and I am your canine counselor. I'm here to help you understand what your dog is telling you just a little bit better. I'm a dog owner and lover who is fascinated by the world of communication, both canine and human. The purpose of this podcast is to help grow your relationship with your furry friends. We are changing the way the canine community views behavior. So, if you're ready to dive into what your furry family member is trying to tell you, join us for some doggy discourse. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Doggy Discourse. My name is Mary and I am your host. Um, And for those of you who are new here, this is a brand new feature. I usually don't have video. Um... But it's something I've been working on, and I thought I'd play around with it and see how it goes. Um, So I recorded a podcast that I never released um, back in, like, April, maybe March, maybe January. It was at the beginning of this year. It was was a very long time ago. And I never released it. It was relevant then, it's still relevant now, but um, I'm going to try something new. Um, I'm pretty active on uh, a bunch of different Reddits, uh, Reddit forums for dogs uh, online. And I'm also a fan of of stuff like Two Hot Takes, um, podcasts like that, um, where they read like, am I the asshole stories from Reddit, and so, um, they were, I was listening to an episode, watching an episode, I don't remember which, um, and they read a story that, um, didn't inherently have anything to do with dogs, but, like, a dog was involved in the story, and I got to thinking, and I was like, you know what, maybe, um, maybe part of the inspiration for this, um, new version of this podcast is that we talk about real life stories that, um, people are asking for help for on some of these dog reddits. So, um, the episode I recorded and never released, um, was about, um, be careful what you reinforce. Uh, oftentimes dog owners do things that unintentionally reinforce behaviors and mindsets in dogs. And, um, you know, it can create some unwanted or unexpected behavior issues. Um, and so I really, I really want to talk about, um, being mindful of what we're reinforcing um, with our dogs and, um, how we're reinforcing those behaviors and mindsets. So, um, I was inspired because I was on, um, I often frequent the subreddit, um, r slash open dog training. Um, and that subreddit is super interesting because, um, it is a, um, not perfect it's reddit you know all reddit (laughs) reddit can be really good but it can also be reddit um and 
most of my experiences in that subreddit are people who genuinely want to help um, and want to talk about um, not just balanced or not just positive reinforcement or not just force-free or not just, you know, whatever other methodologies you might be looking into. Um, it's really kind of a community of people who use all different methods and um, sure, you know, some people are like purely balanced or purely this or purely that. Um, but I find that in it, as a general rule, um, that that, uh, that Reddit subcommunity or, or, um, subreddit is, um, really good at having, um, for the most part, open conversations about training in the dog world. And so I was scrolling along this morning and, um, I'm never this early to a thread, but, um, it had been posted within the hour of the time that I was online. And, um, this user and I had a conversation and, uh, I hope the advice that I gave them helps. Um, but their story is this, um, the title of it is in need of help, reactivity and trauma. I have a two year old beagle, very social, neutral to people on walks. And when we are in public spaces as a puppy, I never introduced him to other dogs while on leash. We went to, we never went to dog parks. The only time he got to interact with dogs was if it was a safe, controlled environment, i.e. the backyard. Around one year old, he started to show signs of reactivity. He would get excited. Every dog, um, which, use, uh, which using positive reinforcement, we were able to get a lot of improvement on, and he was doing great. About six months ago, on a walk, an off-leash jog came charging at us. Um, it was a big black doodle. I tried to step in front and shoo it away. However, the dog ended up putting his paws all over mine. Um, since then, my dog, when my dog sees any black dog, he goes nuts, barks, stares, pulls on the leash. I've done my research. I have watched and listened to every seminar, even reached out to a trainer. The trainer said my dog has lost trust in me and is very nervous um, around strange dogs. Hey, I understand. I'm currently working on his behavior by marking and rewarding every time we see a dog. We see a dog, I say yes, and I slip him some cheese as we move forward. Uh, we've been doing this for months. Every single day I take my dog for a structured walk in the morning and a game of fetch or something in the park in the afternoon. Throughout the day, he sleep, uh, he's sleeping in the crate or on place. Uh, if we encounter a dog, and it's too close. I stand in front of my dog and wait for my dog for the dog to pass while giving him a treat. This used to work wonders. However, it's got to the point where um, even when even then he will whine and stand up on his back legs. I'm looking for help and advice or even constructive criticism. Is it my relationship? How can I build trust? Does it really take a long time to see improvement? Should I do a more balanced approach? Anything help? Uh, anything helps? I'm at my wits' end uh, and feel like a failure. Um. So. This is a lot, and 
Um, if by chance, OP, you are um, watching this or listening to the podcast, or um, if we if you come across my content in some other way, um, please know that you're not a failure. You you have done what what you feel is right to try and advocate for your dog. Um, and, um, you know, living with a reactive dog is really hard and, um, having been where this, um, OP is, original poster, um, it can be extremely frustrating when you are doing everything that the books and the podcasts and the videos all say to do to try and help your dog get out of this um, fight or flight mode and you don't see any improvement. Um, that being said, uh, I've talked about this book a numerous amount of times. The book is actually what inspired me to start the podcast and really start talking about my journey as, um, as a dog owner and dog trainer and dog lover. And, um, so one of the first things I recommended to the OP was, um, uh, Your Dog is Your Mirror by Kevin Bean. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the podcast or with Kevin's work, um, Kevin is the son of a, um, at the time, I don't know if this still stands, but at the time, a world-renowned dog trainer, um, in especially in the Schutzhund or protection dog sports. And um, his father was actually one of the first balance trainers in America to bring over um, Schutzhund or protection dog sport to America. Um, and his father was very successful um, in the old ways of balance training. Um, we've talked a little bit about it on the old form of the podcast, but um, balance training used to be much less balanced. It used to be a lot more of let the dog figure it out and not necessarily setting the dog up for success. And um, that is not what most modern balance trainers uh, subscribe to. There are, of course, still some people who call themselves balance trainers who subscribe to the, the older methods. But I would say 80% of the balance dog modern balance dog trainers I've interacted with um, or seen online um, do not subscribe to the old ways and um, have really started to become truly balanced trainers. Um, the idea of a balanced trainer is they use all four quadrants of operant conditioning. So um, if you're not familiar with those, we have a whole episode about them. I'll link it below. Um, but it's positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. And as a um, dog owner who is learning about um, all of those quadrants, the term positive punishment really confused me in the beginning. And um, I think part of that is um, because as a society, we tend to take positive and negative to mean good and bad when um, in this specific scenario, it is used scientifically or mathematically. So it's not positive is good, negative is bad. It is positive is adding something. 
negative is subtracting something, like positive numbers and negative numbers, right? So um, I would say that most modern balance trainers genuinely do try to use all four quadrants equally. Um, obviously, some training sessions are going to be more in one quadrant than another, and there is an argument to be made about, like, can you ever really be a truly, quote, balanced trainer? Because um, I have heard the argument that, you know, well, a balanced trainer would use 25% of each, right? So 25% positive reinforcement, 25% negative reinforcement, 25% positive punishment, 25% negative punishment. Um, and, you know, there is an argument that has been and can be made for, you know, you're never really truly a balanced trainer because you don't use it in that method. But I think the modern definition of a balanced trainer, at least in my experience, is that a balanced trainer uses the methods and tools that will fit the dog the best, that will get the best results for that family. Um, and sometimes it's a lot more positive reinforcement than it is anything else. And sometimes it's a mixture of all four quadrants. And sometimes it, you know, in some training sessions, it might be a little more positive punishment or negative reinforcement than it is anything else. Um, because extinction of behaviors is extremely challenging to get when you're doing nothing but positive reinforcement. So, hi baby. Do you want to come cuddle? Come around this way. You can get up. Hi. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can you lay down, please? I love you, too. Can you lay down? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for everyone watching, Storm just got on the couch with me. <laughs> this is Storm. She's my baby. She's not my baby. My baby is Jubilee. Storm's my COVID baby. Um, so back to the topic at hand. <laughs> enough of, enough of a dog distraction. Um, so uh, as I uh, mentioned to OP Storm, um, Storm was attacked when she was a baby, um, when she was a little, little developing puppy still. Um, and that, in combination with the fact that she was a COVID puppy and didn't get a ton of socialization, caused a lot of reactivity problems for us. And um, it took me a really long time to rebuild what she had, um, what she had gained when she finally got confident enough to um, interact with other dogs after that attack. Um, and in many ways, it took literal years. And um, I think there's this, I, I think there's this um, idea within the dog community that um, a reactive dog can be fixed or healed or um, 
that, you know, if you work hard enough, eventually they won't be reactive. And I, um, you know, I would love in a perfect world for reactivity. Okay, bye. Um, I would love in a perfect world for reactivity to um, not be a problem that people have to deal with because reactive dogs um, are so incredibly tough to manage. <laughs> the look I'm getting. Do you want your ball? Okay. Um... Reactive dogs are, are so incredibly tough to manage, especially with some of the um, irresponsible and um, somewhat entitled dog owners that exist in today's world. And um, it can be really, really tough when you've made such good progress like this owner has um, with your dog who had reactivity issues and maybe, you know, maybe it's, they're still there, but they're really like, you know, they're not the giant monster that they used to be. Maybe they're, you know, half the size or three quarters of the size that they used to be. And, and you're so excited because you can finally see the dog that you know out in public and then some Someone who doesn't have control over their dog, who thinks their dog should just be allowed to be off-leash no matter what, um, lets their dog off-leash, and their dog, whether it's friendly or not, comes over and just completely ruins the confidence um, and all of the work that you've done as a reactive dog owner to try and help your dog become comfortable and feel safe in the world. And... I have two things to say. If you are a dog owner who has let their dog off leash um, without recall and without thinking about the consequences of the other dog involved, um, please, for every dog, reactive dog owner out there, please do not do that anymore. Uh, get your dog under voice control and then we can talk about off-leash privileges. But off-leash is not a right, it's a privilege. And if your dog cannot listen to you and you don't use the tools to help enforce those boundaries, then your dog should not be off-leash, period. Um, and the second message I have is if you are a reactive dog owner and you've experienced something like this, because you're not alone, and I hope you know that, um, you have every right to do what you need to do to protect your dog. I know a lot of dog owners who have reactive dogs carry things like canned air or um, air horns or um, things like that to help deter animals from coming near them and their dog when they're trying to work on their dog's um, reactivity and thresholds and things like that. Um, I have not personally had the experience of an off-leash dog rush me while I'm working with Storm. 
Um, I'm very grateful for that. And I have been the off-leash dog owner who didn't have voice control and let my dogs off-leash before they were ready. And um, as someone who has been both, I, I think it's important to remember that if you as a dog owner choose to let your dog off leash without recall or without a tool to help them hold them accountable to their recall, then you are taking an insurmountable risk because you don't know what the dog over there on the leash is going to do if your dog rushes them, whether it's friendly or not. It's not about your dog being friendly. It's not about your dog wanting to say hi to people. It is about the safety of everybody involved. Because if your dog is friendly or not and comes over and the other dog isn't friendly, your dog can get injured. You could, your dog could not only get injured, your dog could die. You could be setting, even if the best case circumstance, you're setting back the training of the person who's worked so hard to try and help their reactive dog get to where they feel comfortable walking around in the world. At the worst case scenario, you lose your dog and your privileges to your dog. And you probably have some very expensive bills to pay, whether that's a vet bill or something else. So as someone who has been both people in this situation, please, for the love of God, if you have a dog that is friendly but has no recall, either use the tools to hold them accountable to their recall and work on that recall training so that they can have that, that privilege and freedom of being off leash while still being controllable or do not give them the privilege of off-leash. My dogs love to be off-leash. And when they have their days where they decide to not listen to me, to the e-collar, to both, as soon as they come back to me, they go back on leash. Point blank period. I don't mess around with the safety of my animals or other people's animals. It's not responsible. And I love my dogs too much to let them do something stupid enough that would cause me to lose them. So <clears throat> that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, but if you are a reactive dog owner who has been rushed by an off-leash dog while you've been training or walking your dog, Please know you're not alone. Please know that this happens far too often. And it is super frustrating and you have every right to feel exactly how you feel about the situation. Please don't give up. Look into tools that you can carry with you to help deter dogs from rushing you. And um, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to be a little creative and it's not, 
it's not necessarily fair that we have to do it this way, but sometimes us reactive dog owners just have to get up at the booty crack of dawn and, um, and we have to walk our dogs at like the ungodly hours of 5 a.m., 6 a.m. when there's far less dogs out on the trails or out on the walking paths. Um, sometimes it just has to be that way until your dog is ready to be a little closer to those triggers and the, that threshold. So um, please don't feel defeated. Please don't feel like um, you're a failure. And, um, and know that you're not alone. So the things that I um, recommended to this OP. Um, I recommended, um, you know, I said, you know, confirm that your dog is actually food motivated. I was like, cheese is great. But if your dog isn't food motivated, um, and this is a consistent routine you have, you might not be reinforcing, reinforcing the way you think you are. Um, and I say all of that because, um, I've heard some trainers say that all dogs are food motivated, which is not true. Um, Storm couldn't care less what kind of food you have in your hands, um, unless it's human food or something she considers high value like treats. Um, as far as kibble goes, she has literally starved herself for multiple days at a time when she's either not felt well or not liked her kibble or you name it, she's done it. Um, she's starved herself because I went out of town and she didn't like the person watching her. Like, you know, so um, I will never be somebody who buys into this idea that um, all dogs are food motivated. Um, and the context for that comment was, um, if you had one food, if there was one food source in the whole world and it was only in one spot in the whole world, then all dogs would eat that food. And they were like, well, that's, you know, that's the definition of food motivation. No, it's not. Uh, that is like saying if there was only bread to eat in the house, then you would eat it. Of course you would. You're not going to let yourself starve to death. That's a survival instinct. You have survival instincts. Dogs have survival instincts. Um, the motivation is not for enjoyment. It is for survival. I have two dogs who are very differently motivated. Um, Jubilee is food motivated. Storm is not. Jubilee will work for her kibble. Storm will not. Um, and I think I actually made like a little video trying to demonstrate this. I don't know if I ever posted it, but, um, but it's, it has to be a high value treat, um, in order for Storm to work for it. She will work for it, but she won't work for her kibble. She is not food motivated. And she has, in fact, spit out treats. Like, um, like when I say high value, I mean high value. Like jerky, chicken, cheese. Like it has to be something really, really high value. Um, she has literally spit out like milk bone treats. Um, when we're at the store and 
you know, if we're at PetSmart and one of the cashiers want to, wants to give them some, like, they'll try and hand both Storm and Jubilee one, and Storm will spit out the biscuit because she doesn't like it. Um, so the first thing I recommended to OP was to confirm that her dog is actually food motivated. <laughs> Thanks, Storm. Um, and the second thing I recommended, um, or the second thing I commented on was, um, balance training can work, uh, but in my experience, using balance training methods like positive punishment, um, don't always help the reactivity based out of trauma and fear, um, because you're not treating the root cause. Um, and I've heard recently, uh, there was a trainer that I follow online who posted um, something about um, I'm going to butcher this, so I'm going to paraphrase it. But essentially, his point was um, the positive reinforcement and force-free communities have convinced everyone that they need to understand where the dog's reactivity is coming from when in reality, they just need to correct the behavior. And um, I agree that correcting the behavior sometimes works. However, it does not always work. Um, and I think it is... A little bit reductionist to it's a big word for ammo um, I think it's a little bit um, yeah reductionist I'm trying to think of a better way to put that but um, you know I think I, I think saying that everything can be fixed with balance training or correcting a behavior um, is just it's oversimplifying the problem um, yes, you can correct a dog for being reactive and sometimes it works. However, um, when the reactivity is based out of fear and especially fear from trauma, um, in my experience, it doesn't work because you're not treating the problem. You're treating the symptom. And that would be like me going to the doctor and being like, hey, doc, uh, I have this cough and, um, you know, I can't, I can't really breathe right. And, you know, I, I get winded when I just stand up and I can't really breathe out of my nose. And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, OK, I'll just give you some cough syrup and send you on your way. The cough syrup is going to treat one, maybe two, maybe three of the symptoms, but it's not going to treat for what could be an underlying infection. And I think it is irresponsible of dog trainers to not take into consideration the fact that dogs are complex creatures, just like humans. And granted, there's a lot we don't know about dogs and about the canine brain and how they process things and how they store trauma, but we know enough to know that a adolescent dog has the processing capabilities of a toddler, of a human toddler. So if we're saying that um, a dog has the processing powers of a toddler, 
it would stand to reason that we should then treat them similarly to how we would treat a toddler, right? And I don't know if you, any of you have had a conversation with a toddler recently, but toddlers are very observant, they're very smart, and they also can be kind of jerks sometimes. You know, they're tiny humans trying to figure out how to regulate their emotions. And I think it is important when thinking about an adolescent dog and a young dog that you are trying to raise into a good adult dog that we understand that some of the reactivity issues are the dog doesn't know how to properly regulate that emotion. Um, and so they're doing what they feel is the only option they have, which is acting out of that base instinct. Um, something that I haven't really talked about in detail, I've talked about it a lot um, in audio form on the podcast, um, but something that um, Kevin Bean's book really kind of flipped a switch in my brain on was finding alternative ways to help storm out. Um, and uh, what I mean by that is, um, so if you think of a dog as a battery, which is a metaphor that he uses in his book, um, and you think about what happens when you charge a battery, right? So your battery, like, let's use your cell phone battery for an example. Your battery fully charged has a certain amount of life, yeah? And every time you plug your battery, your phone in, your battery charge goes up. Um, but everything you do on your phone takes a little bit away from that battery, right? So there are different interactions that either pull from the battery or charge the battery. And if you think about a dog in that manner, every single interaction they have with the environment, with you, with other animals, whether it's dogs, cats, rabbits, squirrels, what have you, creates a charge in their system. So um, my dogs both have really high prey drives. And I know before I see a squirrel that a squirrel is nearby based on how they posture because their prey drive kicks in and their prey instincts go something to hunt. That is a charge to their system. That's a jolt of energy. Some people say it's good, some people say it's bad. I don't find any form of drive in a dog, good or bad in my opinion, but that is a different discussion for a different day. So if you think about, if you've ever seen two dogs reacting to each other, they're both at the ends of their leashes, snapping, barking, lunging, like, you know, essentially, um, 
Reminds me of a couple different things, but, um, you know, I think about, like, um, I think about, like, them yelling at each other, you know, whenever you hear the at each other, I, I, in my brain, it's them yelling at each other, yelling insults at each other. But all of that energy, that's a lot of energy passing back and forth between two dogs in this cyclical loop because it goes from one to the other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And if it isn't managed, it either explodes into a dog fight or if the owners take control and handle it, it dissipates. When a dog is reactive, they don't necessarily know how to discharge that. They don't necessarily know how to get rid of that extra charge. And so it just keeps building and building and building. And eventually their tolerance gets lower for how much of that charge they can take because they don't have a ton of room left in that battery. And so I realized that if I wanted to see any progress with Storm and her reactivity, that I needed to help her find a way to discharge that energy. Um, kind of like when you get a static, when you get a static electricity build up on you and you have to touch something metal to discharge it. Um, because I didn't want to see her explode. It wasn't like it was fun for her. She wasn't, you know, I know what she looks like when she's having fun. She wasn't having fun. This was very, like, this was a very, like, tough and traumatic time for her. And she just didn't, I didn't know how to help her, and she didn't know how to handle it. And so, um, and I read it as an audiobook. So I was listening to that chapter, and I thought to myself, huh, okay, well, Storm is really owner-motivated. So how can I use that to help her discharge this energy? And I thought about it. I thought, well, what if I just tried jogging with her for 30 seconds? And so I started out by, um, we used to live right by a big trail, like a big jogging, biking walking, running trail. And I started by going out early in the mornings when there were very few dogs out to help minimize the amount of contact she had with her triggers. And anytime we would pass a dog, I would ask her to heal. And I tried getting eye contact from her, and she wouldn't do it because she was so scared that this other dog was just going to come up and hurt her. Um, hi. That she couldn't take her eyes off of it. She, she would not unlock. She was locked in on that dog and was, like, ready to make her move if it came after her. And so I started simply by asking her to heal on my right side. And her hackles would be up 
and she'd be growling, and she'd be locked in and staring at this dog. Oh, melting off the couch. <laughs> you okay? Okay. Um, and after she successfully healed, so like I asked her, I essentially asked her to not lunge at the leash and to walk by my side. And when she successfully did that, and we were, you know, a good 30 feet past where the dog interaction was, I would ask her to look at me and I would say yes. And I would jog with her for 30 seconds. And I noticed that within the first week of me doing that, her reactivity minimized because she was no longer looking for the payoff of being able to react at the dog. She was looking for the payoff of getting to run with me because running with me was a higher value. And I will never forget when we finally made that breakthrough and I started seeing improvement almost immediately after months of her, of not being able to get through to her, of not being able to get her to flip out of the survival instinct, of not being able to even listen to me. Not, she, I don't even think she could hear me when I was asking her for stuff when she was in that mindset. You can come up, come on. Do you need me to scoot over a little bit? <laughs> come on, up. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah, you can't have the mic. Lay down. Do you wanna say hi to people? Hey, say hi. <laughs> That's not hi. Lay down. Lay down. Thank you. I know I love you too. So I think um, I think a really valuable tool in dog training is is the ability to take a look at what motivates individual dogs and what can you do creatively that hasn't been done before. Um, and I recently explained that method to um, another dog trainer who's been in the industry for about 30 years. And she said, well, that's just another form of positive reinforcement, isn't it? And I thought about it and I said yeah I guess it is because she's owner motivated and I was essentially rewarding her for not losing her shit at the other dogs so in a way it is positive reinforcement um, but I think Energetically, there is still something to be said about really making sure that our dogs have the proper outlets they need. So, um, 
OP and I went back and forth and had a whole conversation. Um, and they sound like they're a, a lovely, dedicated owner who really, really wants to see the best for their dogs or for their dog. And, um, and we had a really great conversation. Um, and at the very end of her first comment or their first comment, um, they said, uh, most of the time he does take treats. Um, but they, but he is taking it fast. His ears are pulled back a bit so I can tell he's stressed. And that was when I knew I was like, oh, okay. We're not reinforcing the right thing. So OP has had this really great intention of trying to reinforce the fact that like seeing other dogs is a good thing, right? Um, but they've been, they've been reinforcing the stress this whole time, because if you are taking your dog and putting them past threshold and then rewarding them for being in that mindset, then you're rewarding that stress behavior, that stress mindset. So inadvertently, OP has been rewarding the wrong thing and has been creating this association with the stress mindset. And I, oh, I should be getting more stressed because the dog doesn't understand that it's getting rewarded for being in the same area as other dogs. It sees the reward and goes, oh, I should continue doing this. That's the whole point of positive reinforcement, right? Positive reinforcement is adding something to get a behavior to repeat. Um, and so like treats are, are commonly used as positive reinforcement. And so um, OP has been rewarding this stressed out behavior mindset. Um, and a lot of people make this mistake. A lot of dog owners make this mistake a ton. And I used to be one of them. And so I say this with like, my full chest and with nothing but love and respect for everybody out there who has been doing this or has done this. Um, a lot of times when you're at the vet, you will start petting your dog as a way to soothe them, right? And in our minds as humans, physical touch can be very reassuring and very like soothing. And so our intention when we're petting our dogs while they're freaking out at the vet is to say, it's okay, no big deal. And sometimes you'll even hear owners say, it's okay, shh, it's okay. Um, and, hi babe. Uh, and so um, that's, the intention is there, but the reality is they're reinforcing that stressed out behavior, that stressed out mindset they're reinforcing the dog panting, the dog pacing, the dog whining, the dog crying. They're reinforcing all of that stressed out behavior. And so the next time the dog goes to the vet, it starts panting a little earlier. Maybe it starts like looking around a little bit. Maybe the ears go back as soon as you walk in. 
And because we don't go to the vet every single day, right, unless you're a vet tech or a veterinarian who bring their, brings their dogs to that kind of environment, you're not used to it. So it's a, an environment that already kind of has negative connotations for the dog because the dog has to go through poking and prodding and all that other stuff. And then on top of that, we as humans trying to do our best to reassure our dogs that, hey, this, it's okay, like, we're safe, we're fine. Um, we're inadvertently reinforcing the stressed out mindset. And so then it kind of piles on as we, you know, as the dog get, gets older, the stressed out mindset continues and this and that. And eventually the dog can't be get, taken out of the car without freaking out, you know? And so it just kind of compounds. And so I told OP, OP this and I was like, hey, like if he's stressed out and you're rewarding him, you might be, you might be reinforcing the wrong thing. <laughs> and, sh and they were like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. What would you recommend to like try and fix that so that I'm not reinforcing the wrong thing? And, um, and so I said, you know, I would, I would go back to square one kind of and, um, really take time to like create distance. I would, um, I would create distance and I would, you know, reward him once calm behavior is, is there and present. If you can't get calm behavior from him, you know, at a certain distance, then maybe there's other things we need to get into. Um, and so anyways, very good conversation. OP was very receptive to, to any help. Um, and there's a couple other comments on the thread that I'm not going to go into, um, because it's not my conversation, but, um, I really, really, really want to drive home that we have to, as owners, be aware of what we're reinforcing. Um, and I think not only as dog owners, but as humans too, right? Like, um, behavior is learned both by humans and dogs alike. And the behavior that you allow is going to be the behavior that sticks around. Oftentimes, I think we unintentionally reinforce behaviors both in ourselves, in our, in our friends groups, in our family dynamic, and in our dogs that we don't necessarily intend to reinforce. And I recently had, um, had a personal situation where someone who... Um, someone who was staying with me decided that it was appropriate for them to talk down to me uh, and to um, lose their mind and speak out of turn to me. And um, I very quickly put a stop to that. And 
I have never really had to stand up for myself in that way. But I, I know who I am and what I do and what I allow in my space. And I have been very selective, especially this year, with the people and energies that I allow in my space because for far too long I have accepted poor behavior um, with different, like, you know, excuses or accommodations in my own life. And I just decided that if I'm not willing to accept poor behavior from my own dogs, why would I be willing to accept poor behavior from people who are supposed to be, you know, on my same level of reasoning or higher and who are supposed to be supporting me and who claim they love me. Um, and I have always been somebody who's pretty like stern. Um, I've been called a hard ass in like in different job environments. Um, because when I, when I say something is, is going to happen or needs to be done, then it's going to happen or it needs to be done. Um, and there can be flexibility, but as a general rule, you know, what needs to happen needs to happen. And, and there isn't really in, in my personal experience in my work environments, there wasn't really a ton of room to like make excuses about, Oh, but so-and-so couldn't do it cause X, Y, and Z or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, I, I realized that I, as a human, am, I tend to be a little bit sterner and a little stricter on behaviors and rules. And, um, I think that there is a time and place for grace and leeway, but when it comes to the behavior you allow in your life, both from your dogs and from the people in your life, I don't think that's the time for grace and leeway. Um, I think that you have to be very intentional with what you allow in your life and how you go about it. So that is this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me for my first video episode. <laughs> And I will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.